Hey there, my little oaks and maples. This is a bonus episode of Tri Sound Street, an extra sode. I'm Lou. I'm Matt, and what up, my Rexies? <laughs> oh, it's so horrible. Big, Such a hor- big up. Does anybody know what we're talking about? I wonder. No, did, did anybody else on the same day watch the same Keanu Reeves? anorexia movie that we both did on that i don't know we have any 14 year old girls in the audience it's a popular the dying teenagers in love genres is a popular genre so the uh the movie is to the bone to the bone starring sort of keanu reeves and that he appears for probably five minutes total in the movie and he's the biggest star i'm sure it shot all of his scenes in one day yeah (laughs) as the maverick psychologists who's most outrageous method includes telling people to toughen up and get over it. Yeah, he's not really... Other than he, like, curses, he's not really that maverick. (laughs) And and he's like, the point of this is that uh, life is beautiful and worth living for, which is not something you usually hear from a psychologist. Mm. Yeah, it's really odd. They're usually like, why don't you just kill yourself? Why don't you just not eat and... Damn, I I guess the anorexia won. (laughs) You usually hear that a lot. So... So yeah, not really. I'm not really the core audience, but I, I for what it was, two two thumbs up. Yeah, uh, has a very legitimately disturbing scene at the end. I think. Yeah, and which shouldn't spoil, but watch it. Watch it just for the the catharsis at it, the end. Just creepy. Yeah, but we're not here to talk about young adult movies and fiction. No, quite. Quite the opposite. Oh, so the opposite. We're here to talk about songs that are really long. Long songs. Long songs. Because you couldn't, Jamie, does Jamie, do you think Jamie likes any song that's seven minutes or more? She's told me she doesn't. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say, Jamie could maybe do short songs, do like a two minutes and under songs, but you're not going to get a lot of seven Well, a lot songs. of like punk songs are very short. Yes. Because they, you just, I guess your upper body strength just from playing really fast, uh, you can only sustain that. So I don't know. Jamie is very, very public on her stance of long songs suck. I, however... Love a long song, like a meaty song. There's, I think you have to condition yourself into paying attention to that long because mm-hmm. there was a time when uh, I definitely, I definitely listened, was listening to more, more punk and hardcore, and uh, <laughs> and I went to make a CD of of all emo songs for yeah. some younger people that I worked with uh, who didn't know what emo music was. There's, a, and I put a Texas is the reason song on it, and it's a four minute song. But I was, I was listening to it, and like when you're used to listening to two minute songs, a four minute song, it's like, Jesus Christ, it's like Holy Diver. It just keeps going. And then, but it was only four minutes long, so I think you have so, to condition yourself to like a longer song. So it's funny you should say that because um, as we were like looking for songs, yeah, I had watched, um, I watched Lords of Salem again. Yeah, I talked about possibly on a podcast that has not actually been edited as of this date mm-hmm. it's the end of july so god knows when we hear this and there's a scene where they briefly play venus and furs that's a good song it's a good song but i like listen to it and it's only like five minutes i'm jesus christ i felt like i listened this is a 12 minute song it's the longest five minute song ever written there's definitely a, when i was making my list there was a lot of like originally i i said seven minutes because i thought six minutes it'll between six and seven minutes eliminated a lot of songs that i thought would be like Songs You Couldn't Leave Out, Gloria by uh, Patti Smith. But then when I started to make my list, I realized I kind of like fucked myself because I'm like, wow, n- all these songs that I thought were seven minute long songs or more are not as long yeah, as I think they, they are. It makes it challenging. 
six minutes. There's one that was six minutes and 58 seconds. I can't remember which one. I was like, oh, well. You kind of, you like, you wish they let the feedback just play for a little bit. Yeah. And that's really what it is. So first, I never had to condition myself to liking long songs because I am a prog fan, a 70s prog. It was very evident when you sent your list that it was a very, very Lou list and not a very Matt list. I had to, I had to cut back a lot because it would all have been like fucking. Yes song. <laughs> yes. Made some King Crimson. King Crimson, um, yeah. I actually thought about like some post-metal stuff. Mariner, the album I talk ad nauseum about, each song is like at least 10 minutes. That UFO album? I actually almost put... Uh, were you? Did you have a track on it or were you counting the whole album? No, I was going to... I think Flying is the second track. Yeah, that's like 20 minutes long. I almost did that and then I ended up opting out because I think I had something else that sounded too similar. For the listening audience, that's the only good UFO album. Uh, if you, I mean, UFO is terrible. But they made one good album before they restaffed, mm-hmm. and they fucked up and made a great album, and yeah. then they kicked out all the guys that, can, like, not all the guys. I think the one guitar player, mm-hmm. and he was replaced by the guy that would then steer UFO into the ass rock territory. That's just don't say don't, don't tell that to Kurt Hammett or Eddie Trunk. Eddie Trunk, yeah. But yeah, UFO two flying one hour space rock is uh, is gets the four thumbs up it tells yes it tells a little story about space or some shit like that and prince kajuku yeah prince uh, kajuku and uh yeah some and kind of space cat and uh, yeah it's like confusing and that's sort of one of the hallmarks of, especially prog but i think it lends it to these long form songs as you either have some sort of bizarre fucking narrative tell a story one. tell a story uh, sonic shifts i yeah. noticed a lot of like yeah. going like you can't play the same thing for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Although one of my picks stresses uh, that. Yeah, I could guess which pick. I will talk about that. I refer it as jerking off the guitar. Really? <laughs> well, jamming. I mean, that's well, sort of what I think. I mean, and sometimes it is really like jerking off the guitar, and sometimes it's good. But yeah, it's like an ex- like yeah, if you're like jamming or something, or you're telling a little story or a big story or. We won't get... One of my songs is very jammy. We won't get ahead of ourselves there either. So So let's... Maybe let's start talking about... When we compared lists, Mm -hmm. we had one double. Yes. We agreed on one song. Which I think we pretty much... I would have bet money that we both would have picked one song. I kind of thought that that we might agree there. And it is, uh, as if you recall the last Mm -hmm. Lou and Matt episode, Mm -hmm. it is a Slater-Kinney song. It's my favorite Slater-Kinney song. Uh, Let's call it love. Yes, and... from the woods. Mm-hmm. I that song is na- so nasty all the way through, and just like everyone's just so loud and filthy and yeah, real driving. Yeah, and I like it. I mean, it's one of my favorite songs, um, both as itself, and I also like it when you take it with Nightlight, which I talked about before, which is in the same key, mm. but has a dramatic tonal shift. Uh, they were recorded in the same, not I mean in the same session. They were recorded as one piece, yeah. from what I understand. Mm-hmm. That they they did that live and in one track. I think the drumming in Let's Call It Love is kind of the the all star. Is it lets you, uh, and this is kind of I, I notice this a lot in the music that I particularly like is that the drumming is uh, is like an anchor to where you can then passively listen to the more wild elements and it normalizes them. Yeah, you know what, I could see that. So the more, it gives you a steady base to then you can hear the psychedelic elements mm-hmm. without feeling like they're getting too arrhythmic or noisy. So that's, that's you know, Miss Janet Weiss, but like, Korn's vocals really wail, and then they switch, you know, switch off to, to Carrie's vocals, which are very good, and then 
like I said, the, the guitars in that song are just so like nasty and aggressive. Mm-hmm. I and uh, it typifies why that album is so good. Too. Yes. As an aside, as we both picked, let's call it love. Mm-hmm. I'm also impressed that neither of us picked Dope Smoker. I kind of, I kind of kept away from from Dope Smoker because it's so. I think it's a song that a lot of people would think of because its length is infamous. Yeah. Um, it's too obvious, so I was like, I'm not going to do this. I do like Dope Smoker, though. And Dope Smoker's good. It's not my favorite sleep song. I almost said Electric Wizard. Yeah. Not my favorite sleep song, and I think Dragon Knot was under seven. Was one of the under seven minute songs. Off a uh, Holy Mountain. Off a of Holy yeah. Mountain. Um, that I probably mm-hmm. would would have been in the running, or it's either that or I, I it didn't make the list. It was like a runner up. Mm. It's a a song a song so so long the band had to break up. Yeah, <laughs> it destroyed them. Uh, the destroy they we would rather quit than make this song shorter. Mm. So that's a good that's a good uh, right. honorable mention. But anyway, to bring it around, and we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about long songs. Well, that's again, a long song, but we're not here to. Yeah. Moving. How about what's what's your first song though? All right, from one of your favorite bands, Sonic Youth. Yeah. This is uh, off Daydream Nation, nineteen eighty eight. Mm. Fifth album by Sonic Youth, and actually the one before they signed to like Elektra. So it's, it's actually an indie album. And it's Day- Daydream Nation. Daydream Nation and Goo, I guess, are the two albums that I think of when I think of Sonic Youth. Yeah. So that's kind of that is interesting that that was an, that's an indie album because that's one of their seminal. It, yeah, it, yeah. Seminal works. Uh, Daydream Nation being one of them, but that's the one I picked. I picked the Sprawl. Yes. Which is a, I wrote down times, seven and a half, almost eight minutes. Conceptually about uh, William Gibson's novel uh, Neuromancer. Yes, which you've uh, you'll uh, you'll recognize William Gibson and Neuromancer from being referenced in every other <laughs> science fiction and cyberpunk work in it's, in the history of man. I say it's so iconic. It's so iconic that it seems derivative by people who read it today because everything builds off it. Yeah, and um, like I'm just reading. I'm about to finish a book called Hyperion. Mm-hmm. Uh, sci-fi novel set in the distant future and in a very like trans-universal dune-like setting yeah they just had the line talking about hackers because there's one section mm-hmm. that deals with hackers and uh the one hacker was was called cowboy gibson uh, and yeah. I, I fucking groaned <sighs> although when when the book came out yeah that was probably like razor sharp cutting edge it was like whoa this is such a weird reference it like, was super legit probably when the book came out but right yeah. now it's like it just makes me think of hacking the gibson and hackers yeah. or literally everything in ready player one Oh, I'm not a fan now. I can't. Nah, neither am I. And apparently, that's a thing now. People hate on people finally getting uh, around to hating on Ready, Ready Player One. In time for them Spielberg to put out his movie. Yeah, pretty much. But anyway, so the Sprawl. Um, it's the second song of the album. It's about the Sprawl specifically refers to the mega city between I think from New York to Atlanta on the East Coast or some such nonsense mm-hmm. in your answer. And it's um, Kim Gordon does the vocals, and there's a long extended noise rock build like i said everything matthew loves well it's not that i realized because i listened to it a few times because i'm not a sonic youth fan and think all sonic youth songs are way too long listening to the sprawl a few times i realized that there's a lot of individual pieces of the song that i really like but together somehow they're lesser than the sum of the parts Mm -hmm. and like i like i like the kind of deadpan Kim Gordon and I like the repetitiveness of the beat and mm-hmm. I like the the noise 
and all that kind of stuff. But there's something a little too, I don't know, there's like something a little too perfect, as odd as that is to say about it, when it's all put together, that, that it doesn't have enough character or resonance for me. Mm. Uh, so I still wouldn't say I like the song or Sonic Youth, but I, I appreciated it way more than I thought I would. Daydream Nation, which I believe is actually a concept album. I think it's a concept album about Neuromancer. About Neuromancer. Yeah. It works much better in context, that song, with the rest of the album, because mm. the album is sort of a whole... One interesting thing, not an interesting thing, but that puts me in mind. I, I just recently watched two movies that remind me of each other and also remind me of The Sprawl, mm-hmm. is I just watched Ghost in the Shell yeah, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell, of course, is a, a cyberpunk movie, which owes a tremendous amount to Neuromancer. I thought it was so... Like, I hate to Armand White it. Yeah. But, like, Guardians of the Galaxy was so terrible and so bland. Ghost in the Shell did everything that Guardians of the Galaxy should have done so much better. Where it was like, even though the palette was super dark, there was a lot of, like, highlights and texture. And it was visually super interesting. And all the different worlds look different from each other, whereas opposed to Guardians of the Galaxy, it looked like all the same bullshit. You had a family, a struggling family dynamic that comes through when the going gets tough and push comes to shove, they come through for each other. Whereas in Guardians of the Galaxy, every emotion is yelled. Yeah. And just like, ah, just, just the, the, I hate to say pablum. (laughs) <laughs> but the fucking pablum um, that these big comic book movies are now versus a fairly derided movie. Like, it, it reminded me of, like, um, like uh, fuck it, uh, Speed Racer, which is, like, way better than it should be. Yeah. And, uh, nah. Guardians 2 definitely tries way too hard. It's, I like didn't, a, it's like a toy commercial. Yeah, I didn't think it was horrible, but I was not a big fan of it. I think the third one's going to suck ass eh. if they don't change it. I mean, but most of those comic book movies at this point, I'm very blah on. Um, someone has said it's not my thought. They literally make the same movie over and over again and just change the costumes. Uh, Ghost in the Shell, it was like eating candy. I thought it was like visually stunning. There were like sort of two complaints. The one, the yellow face complaint, I would say... Considering they reveal, I'm going to spoil it for you, spoilers, they reveal that Major is actually sort of reconstructed from a Chinese girl. Yeah, which I, I, I think they left a little on the table mm-hmm. as far as, like, identity goes. But then mm-hmm. again, you're making a movie that's supposed to have a certain pace and a certain tone, so it may be overly challenging to really dive into the fact that she's this, like, she was a commercial whitened-up product. So, yeah. like, it is... It, it, yeah, I mean, yeah. to our to to my standard at least, like I was satisfied by that choice, and I understand why other people mm-hmm. might not be. But now the other thing I'll say is, people seem to think or remember Ghost in the Shell the anime as being a lot better than it actually was. And by the way, people hated that movie. I remember when that movie came out. I actually saw it in the theater. People hated that movie. I think adapting manga seems like one of those things you just might like why bother mm-hmm. it's just a thankless no matter yeah. how good you do you're not going mm-hmm. to do good enough and like people aren't necessarily yeah. going to accept that how are you going to like you're going to translate something that's that yeah it's comprehensive and alien yeah let's uh let's do my first song is marquee moon by television mm. uh i i legitimately think this is one of the greatest rock songs ever made and 
it is in in the way that the sprawl is composed of things I like adding up to something that I don't like. Yeah. Marky Moon is on paper a song I should not enjoy because it's full of like all these like jam bandy. I actually have it's, it has a very jammy southern rock feel with yeah. the way the guitar is and, and like for yeah. uh, uh, Verla- Tom Verlaine's vocals are are pretentious, annoying, mm-hmm. and somehow it's the feta cheese of music where it is so on the border of being disgusting <laughs> and unpalatable yeah. that it's exotic and delicious. Oh, it's like the uh, the dissonant note in perfume yes. that makes the whole thing. That made, that pulls it all together. Yeah. Lyrically, I still, you know, as a million, I've heard the song a million times and I still love the lyrics every time. Mm-hmm. I hear them. I, I think they're like perfectly aloof to, to have real impact for, for me and... I love the multiple guitar mm-hmm. solos. I love like the little jangly interludes and the way this song kind of shimmers out and then comes back at the end. I really liked it. I've never actually listened to television before. Um, and I was like, ooh, this is really good. I should. I'm sure there's people out there that get very deep into television. Mm-hmm. I think they're one of those bands that wound up a little more shallow in their in their catalog than they probably mm-hmm. could have been. And like guys that probably live somewhat mm-hmm. self-destructive, rough lives and... Mm-hmm. In a time when people weren't shooting for permanence and and all that, it's very of its time. Yeah, but there's definitely some really good television songs, and uh, also for a while there, every band was compared to television. Yeah, and I the, feel like Tom Sharpling brings them up a fair amount. I don't know, maybe. at least enough, or maybe older, maybe older Sharpling stuff. Yeah, it comes maybe up older. when uh, when the Strokes came out. There was a lot of like, oh, the Strokes are a lot like television, and it's just like, okay, sure. I could see them as sort of the progenitor of those type of bands. That second, that uh, new new rock, New York. I new guess rock yeah. I'm phase, trying to like, like yeah, the yeah, 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 and and them, but sort of, but not quite. You know, in a very tenuous way. But you know, I could kind of yeah. But know. I it it looks. I think it it makes more sense on paper. Yeah, it's more a journalistic mm-hmm. thought than maybe a thought that people naturally had. Yeah, just trying to get that print. Yeah, get that print money. In the same way now that every band uh, is compared to Thin Lizzy. <laughs> where it's like, okay, yeah, you love Thin Lizzy. Yeah. Sure, okay. <laughs> Assholes. I'm not a Thin Lizzy fan. Oh. So that was um, that album was 1977. That was a 10 minute and 40-second song. I'm going to try to timestamp these. Okay. I'm going to switch gears a little bit off my list. Empire of the Clouds, Iron Maiden, 2016, 18 minutes and one second. I was a little surprised that you picked like a, a brand new Iron Maiden song. I this was what, like right before I set my list. This was a last minute substitute. You called an audible. Yeah, I call. I did call an audible. I almost called two. So Iron Maiden is a band that they are very much into the weird. We'll call it narrative storytelling and song. They have a lot of songs over seven minutes. Up until this point, their longest song was "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner," which is the one I almost did. I would say, yeah. I mean, that's the more classic. The problem they you you they shoehorn the like lyrics in, in a lot of places, mm. but yeah, that's a big Iron Maiden thing. Is they'll pick something like Alexander the Great. I mean, the Trooper is about the larger like charge of the Light Brigade, and it's like we can just tell this story. And when I was listening to this, I actually thought before I kind of sat down and looked at the lyrics because I, I I had to Google them. Yeah, I thought it might be about the charge of the Light Brigade. British people are really into British history. Yeah. They're very romantic about it. Yeah, when they were just conquering the world and just subjugating people. Yeah, they, they definitely shine that part mm-hmm. up. 
I listen. Or, I listen to this song once, which I bet is once more than everybody in Iron Maiden except for Bruce Dickinson. Probably. Yeah. I think it had the distinction. I was like when I was trying to get timestamps afterwards. It's the only single they've never played. Yeah, live. I read that. So anyway, what's on Pair of the Clouds? It's sort of a narrative piece about a massive airship, sort of either this this beautiful thing that dies, for lack of a better word, or a monument to man's hubris conquered by nature. And I chose it because it's, I'll say it's very effective, much more effective than the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner in what it endeavoring to portray. There's like, so there's a lyrical section where they just tell you how great this thing is. And they're like, oh, and there's a storm coming, but we're like, fuck it, we're going to go. There's sort of a, a musical interplay where they get, conveys the idea that it's in this storm and eventually the ship suffers catastrophic damage it goes down and then there's sort of uh, an epilogue to it. It's weird because it's it's atypical for an Iron Maiden song. Yeah. Which is why, again, you say everyone else probably just hates it. It was not a, not a rockin' song. No, a not at all. A lot of piano. Yeah. Um, speaking of men's hubris, I actually I just now didn't look up how long Flight of Icarus was. I should have done that. That's a good one. I don't that even know. Oh, anyway. That'd be ironic. Yeah, it would be. But, um... um I when I looked up the lyrics in the in the lyrics it says how many people died in the airship crash. Yeah. But it was misprinted on the like Metro lyrics or like Genius or whatever I looked it up mm-hmm. on. It was like eighty something. And I was like, Oh damn, why have I never heard of this? And then when I looked it up on Wikipedia, it's like eight guys died. Yeah, it's not as many, yeah. Yeah, get, you know. Well, you know, it's like, oh, and then eight guys died. It's a two minute song. Yeah. I think there's a joke about similar to so the uh, the wreck of the Edmund Finch Gerald. By oh, Gordon Lightfoot, the song is longer than it, it took the ship to sink. Yeah, I've heard that. Can that you? This this kind of made me. Th- no, I don't. That song would not have made the list. It was, I believe, it was the number one song the the day I was born, or something weird like that. That's really funny. Book. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, can you like back then when they were trying to like make airships dirigibles happen, mm-hmm. and like they were trying to like make turbine engines for cars and stuff, and it's just weird how like. Back then, their vision of what the future was going to be was like this crazy sci-fi thing. Yeah. And now it's like electric cars just look like cars. Yeah. And self-driving cars will just look like cars. And uh, I don't know. It must have been like mind-blowing to like what like when they launched a dirigible mm-hmm. to be like, oh well, there's the future. Well, it the- might have been. Might as well have been a flying saucer. Yeah. I mean, and the flip side is, no one thought we'd be having tiny computers in our hands or that we would hate calling people so much we would just type to each other yes we just um, morse not morse code uh telegram telegram yeah telegram each other empire of the clouds and the sort of like yeah i don't know i like it it actually tied that album together which is book of souls is not a bad album hey remember you i think i remember you guys reviewing that and you said it was like early right. and that's also where we found out that jamie does not like long songs because hmm. she's like yeah it's a little hard to listen to <laughs> she got bored by that yeah i'll see your song that I only listened to once and raise you the song that I bet you only listened to once. Yeah. Uh, Spaceman 3, An Evening of Contemporary Sitar Music, mm-hmm. which is a track off of Dream Weapon in mm-hmm. An Evening of Contemporary Sitar Music. Yeah. Uh, which is... How long is it? 44 minutes and 17 seconds. 40, 40, 44 minute drone piece. You couldn't be bothered to find out what fucking year it came out. <laughs> I like the late 80s. Yeah, I mean... Super it's late true. 80s. It's, uh, it's, it's very quiet, gentle guitar wanking. It's, uh... Space, I guess Spaceman 3 kind of had always set out to make very quiet 
music, uh, and like were annoyed when they like would make loud songs, like loud garage dissonant songs. And uh, this is probably, I guess, the, the the apex of of what they maybe aspire to before they uh, blew up in a, a cloud of resentment and heroin. But I I, I love I love to put this song on and just zone out to it. It's one of those records. It's like a three hundred dollar record. I'd love to get my hands on it someday. Yeah. Love them to reissue it. Would never pay that much for it. Yeah, it's just it's just quiet and very long and droney and repetitive. And every now and then somebody comes over like the PA, just to be like, you're still listening to this. Yeah. Uh, or like there's candy in the lobby or something. But I, don't, I can't get enough of it. I love it. I. Not my cup of tea. I could not. I could not sustain interest. So I think I listened to it once at work, and kind of like, yeah, that's it. I get the picture. Mm. Maybe someday I'll revisit it. It's definitely not something you're definitely doing other things when you're listening. I can't imagine just. I just sit at you. Yeah, just sitting there, just staring at your. Maybe all just we're smoking weed or shooting up. Opium. Opium. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, smoking opium off our hookahs. Yeah, but I just I don't know, I get the nods. I like mm. that song. Ugh. Let's see where to go next. Rush. Xanadu, 11 minutes, 7 seconds, first 5 minutes of that is intro. Yeah, which I did not, I didn't mind. I like, it's good. And there's, a, there's a really good bass in the intro. This is 1977, Farewell to Kings. It starts out very quiet, there's actually birds chirping, and it slowly builds to a full song, I guess. And then, yeah, it's all about, we can talk about, again, narrative storytelling and music, it's sort of inspired by... Uh, Xanadu. Yeah, by Coleridge. Yeah, not the uh, not the 80s roller skating movie. Yeah, the same name. Uh, although that same same reference. Yeah. Uh, in in Xanadu did Kublai Khan a stately pleasure dome decree, where out the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea. That's I'll okay. Say, yeah, you said thank yeah. you. You sound very impressed. I am. It's I I, uh, I for some reason that's just I always remember that stanza of it's the only stanza of poetry i can remember oh really yeah and I, i've known it uh for since college oh, I, I like i like xanadu both the song and the poem i mean I know, i'm indifferent to all poetry i've dined on honeydew beneath the caves of light <laughs> drank the milk of paradise but here's this raised the question for me yeah does Keddy lee do drugs none of them do they're very square i see that's i was like I think he legitimately is singing about honeydew melons yeah. and drinking milk. Yeah, I believe it. He's not... Not the milk of the poppy. No, he's drinking just milk. Just whole milk. Like, he's into, like, he's really into fantasy baseball. I Yeah, like, I've heard super that. into it. Yeah, I, I think they're... Getty Lee they're looks, in... looks like someone who's singing a Rush song. Yeah. <laughs> he's he, You could not... If, if you had a police sketch artist just from the music, you he, would get Getty Lee. He reminds me of... Um, this is going to be a, a reference. The, the 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 film Baron von Munchausen. Yeah. The guy who's like the sniper. Yes. But when he's old... Yeah. And he's like... He talks like... Hey, hey, hey. I actually... I bet... I th- I bet I had in my life have looked up as to whether or not that was Getty Lee. Yeah, I don't think it is. I don't, I don't believe it is. But yeah, yeah. I think Rush, they're sort of... Infamous for being just super squares. Yeah, I was. Uh, Unless you're gonna find out something like, like how we all find out. Oh yeah, Tom Petty was a heroin addict for ten years and no one had an it. idea. Um, no, I like it. This is like, I mean, as opposed to some other Rush songs, um, the trees. For for when it all said done, I'm not a big trees fan. Um, do you like Do you like the song in the mood? It's uh, it's the Rush song about fucking. 
I don't. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. It sounds like I listened to it because I know there was one. I hear it on the radio sometimes. Mm-hmm. It sounds like Rush doing a Kiss song. That sounds and right. it's just like yeah. their tight pants song. It's yeah. gross. It grosses me <laughs> it's out. It's horrible. Rush, I think, opened for Kiss. Uh, yeah. And they talk about that's sort of from the Rush documentary that they would just be like Kiss would be doing whatever, like basically fucking groupies all night, and they would just be sort of playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it's a very Dungeons and Dragons song. Yeah. It's a very... Xanadu is a very pre-Star Wars 70s sci-fi sounding song. Yeah, that's a very... I did not think of that, but you were right on. That's a, It's like, a very... Yeah, it's very in that world. Like, before nerd culture got co-opted yeah, when it was, by the norms. Yeah. But when... Yeah, they were just almost nigh-unwatchable movies that have really snowpots that I like. Oh, yeah, you're OG. Yeah. But like I think I don't yeah. think I don't think there's enough of no one's gonna permit that shit anymore. All these all these Ready Player Ones out here, <laughs> uh, with their swinging dicks. But no, you're you're a fucking OG yeah. nerd. Before it was cool, <laughs> and with the stuff that still isn't cool. Yeah, yeah. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons as recently as uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, it's a yeah. I I could say they. Sh- I like the bassier parts of the song, and mm-hmm. I like the some of the stuff. There's the space noise doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think they should put in there. I think they're getting a little more experimental than they needed to be. It, yeah. I mean, they were, for lack of a better word, really nerding out, you could tell. Yeah. Well, if that was only the nerdiest song of that album, so to Feral <laughs> to Kings, one of the songs, I believe, the song Rivendell is on that album. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you what that's about. And again, before pre-co-optment. Yes. So, some Cimmeralian yeah. stuff. Yes, and that's Xanadu. 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 I, I, I don't like Rush, but I liked, I liked Xanadu. I listened to Xanadu probably the most of everything on on your list. Yeah. And I, it's not not a terrible not terrible. Mm-hmm. Still not going to listen to any Rush. Mm. Um, not even Red Barchetta. Red Pancetta. What I? No, uh, Red Barchetta is right. Pancetta. No, Pancetta's a cheese. No, it's a ham. It's even worse. Okay. Anyway, that's go ahead. That's why it's red. Um, not Y Y Z. Do 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 do. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, speaking of space noise, the purveyors of space noise, uh, Comets on Fire, the Bee and the Cracking Egg, which is like, a lot of howling and space noise. Um, the song is, for, for a long song, a lot of these songs have pacing or breaks in them. This song's pretty relentless. Yeah, yeah. Was and a lot of their music is very, is like that, and kind of like amphetamine kind of psych music, and, and uh, I really like this guy's voice, I really like the guitars, I like how things like glitch out, I love the, the like I said, the analog synthy space noise, and uh, there's like great overtures in their music, like super dramatic, dynamic sounding music. I liked it, so I listened to literally everything before, like this morning, and it's so different than anything else on the list. I really liked it. It's like the, sort of palate cleanser. Like, yeah, the energy. And it, angrier than the other song. The drama. Yeah. It's like if, um, I think if, if like, if Queen made music that was as speed-fueled as Freddie Mercury probably really was in mm-hmm. the 70s, it probably would have been closer to this. Yeah. Like, just non-stop, howling, mad yeah. kind of music. Um, I Oh, I wonder if my... I just cracked my knuckles. I don't yeah. know if that's going to come up on the yeah. mic. Sorry. Well, you can see that big spike right there. That's uh, probably your knuckle. Anyway, don't Sorry. And they have a they have a lot of uh, they, a lot of music like that. That's not this is not an anomaly for them. So if you like if you like this song, there's there's more, uh, more like this. And uh, there's actually there's a, I contemplated but did not put in both 
there's some earthless songs that are it's which is very similar music that are very long and then there's a uh, an album called The Black Tape, which is two like twenty-five minute songs by Comets on Fire, yeah. which likewise I didn't know if I wanted to count as one song or one mm-hmm. uh, like one piece or whatever, yeah. and wanted to pick some stuff that was maybe a little a little shorter. And I I always uh, I, I think of uh, think of this song, good good tune. It was a good tune. Good good tune. Toe tapper. Good tune, bro. <laughs> which brings us to the Pink Floyd. Uh, yeah, I know. This is uh, actually my favorite Pink Floyd song. Shine On You Crazy Diamond, parts 1 through 5. 13 minutes, 32 seconds. And by parts 1 through 5, it's a single piece. Yeah. Off Wish You Were Here, about Sid Barrett. He's the crazy diamond. Yeah. And I, I've talked about this before. It starts out very quiet, slowly building. And then, I always say... As if calling out from the darkness, you get the four notes, the do-do-do, the wish you were here. Then they come again, but they're a little too quick. They're before the beat. And then the drum starts going, and it builds in. And then it gets, you get, like, bluesy. And that's sort of that thing. I was thinking about this the other day, because Pink Floyd, they were into blues. I think most English bands, like, of that era, like, they were into blues, and they took a lot of blues notes. And I guess it's a more abrupt transition than in america because blues the blues are an american art form and it sort of was a subtler they were more infiltration into our culture then they might have been fetishizing it more than having like an organic yeah evolution because there's other like weird american music forms that they like were super into mm-hmm. like i know there's a big jazz scene in in the uk because like if you watch like um ginger baker the beware yeah. mr baker mm-hmm. they, they talk about like the jazz scene that like the rolling stones and cream and all those guys were into and then like there's the blues and like skiffle which isn't like doesn't even blip in america but like over there there were like the beatles were a skiffle band before they were a rock band so i guess it's the difference between an organic evolution and like just pure fetishizing yeah. now i know in ireland they're more into soul because jazz is for wankers. Yes, and uh, that movie. Did we talk about that? I don't think we did. It was I just watched it like last week. I watched it a couple of months ago, and the singing is unbearable. Like there's so much singing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. Like, I mean, and you can't fast forward on Netflix. There's like a 45 minute soundtrack for that. Like I mean, every song they did is yeah. on. Oh god, that's a. It's a good so movie it's the, except it's the for singing. Yes, it's a very Irish. Comedy, yeah, and I think like it's legitimately funny. Yeah, but it's yeah the singing after I was like I don't care, I mean, like that's what you need. It's like oh, and they they sing really good. You just need someone holding up. Other than the scene when like the girls, their first rehearsal and the girls are singing with their accents and they get yelled at. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> They're singing "Ride Sally Ride." Well, just the whole Sally, whole songs. You yeah. don't need to do whole songs, and it's borderline music. If it came out today, it would be musical. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I was I I just. Yeah, threw that on. on so on. anyway, yeah. So that was uh, yeah. Um, Shiny Crazy Diamond one through five. I uh, yeah, I hate Pink Floyd. I know you do. I still hate Pink Floyd, and uh, I did notice the blues thing, blues and lots of saxophone. Yeah, which, there's like multiple saxophone solos. Yeah, which I'm. It's tough. Like saxophone itself, I'm generally not a fan of. David Bowie, of course, loves the saxophone. Well, there's. I think there's a. I mean, it's that's the Coke Rock era. Yeah. And that's do you like you do you like Steely Dan? No, 
You might like Steely Dan one day. You might grow into Steely yeah, Dan. But I don't like. I hate Steely yeah. Dan. But I mean, I'm just saxophone. But this, it's just coke. so. Yeah. Steely Dan. Well, I mean, the story just with Bowie was he was in a studio and he saw a saxophone. It's like, what's that? And he taught himself to play saxophone in an hour. Yeah, with his creepy alien fingers. Yeah, pretty much. His yeah. Thin white hands yeah. and like Nosferatu. Like, let's, let's do a grandma. <laughs> Looks like yeah, yeah. I'm gonna drink this whole milk. Snort up this cocaine, yeah. and then I'm just gonna honk on this saxophone. Yeah. Oh, this this kind of reminds me. This will be this is a callback to two, will be two podcasts ago. You guys were talking about the theremin, yeah, and that band, and oh, the did the, you ever the Dracula's or the what was the other one? Um, no, it was that band, the Russian band. Yeah. Did you ever watch the Fishbone documentary? I don't think so. It's really good, and it's about like. Really good documentary for, like, guys that are just sick of each other but financially have to stay together. Yeah. And, like, the struggle with that and, like, also the struggle with, like, we could make a lot more money playing the hits but we want to play new music. Mm-hmm. So we play, like, we, we're broke playing new music. The one dude in, uh, in, in Fishbone got super into the theremin and mm-hmm. everybody else in the band hates it. Yeah. Well. And they would, like, get mad at him for, like... It would be like okay, you can you can do the theremin every other night, but then he would do the theremin every night. They'd have to like confront him about playing uh, too much theremin. It's an odious instrument. I mean, it's it's not. It it's, has its place. It's impossible to fit into music to where it's not completely distracting and calling attention yeah. to itself. So I'm watching right now. I'm halfway through um, the girl with all the gifts the uh, movie. Yeah, and there's a lot of theremin music, and it actually works in this movie because it makes it. Theory. It's played to a disturbing extent, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, it's it's so obtrusive. Yeah. And while you talk about you know going broke or you know playing new stuff or making money playing the hits, uh, Robert Smith of the Cure is basically like no one gives a shit about new stuff. That's why we just play the hits. I mean, if you're, I could totally understand. I also think he has sole authorship of literally everything. So. So he just makes because he like I didn't know, like Robert Smith is the only, he's like he's like Trent Reznor in that he's the only member of the Cure. And he just gets other people at periodic times and fires them and hires them at will. Or used to, because he doesn't really... He has his touring band now, yeah. I guess, when he does festivals. Kind of like how the, the Eagles, like, they legally excluded everybody else out and just made them employees of the band so that they could completely control it all. Yeah. Or they did to poor Richard Wright and Pink Floyd. Uh, something like that. Like they fired him, but then brought him back as a studio musician for The Wall. They cuckolded him. Basically. Basically. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, there we go. Very, uh, so yeah, we're don't, getting... not not for me. I'm going out of order. Okay. Completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. Metric, Dead Disco. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is one of two live tracks for me. Yeah. Um, because the studio, or the uh, album version of Dead Disco is like a three minute song. And yeah. it's a good song. And it's off of, uh, I think it's off of Old World now, which is like I think their breakthrough breakthrough in America album. Like Metric's one of those bands that's very big in Canada and like I think does very well by the support they get from like how the Canadian arts like how the government semi funds arts in Canada and so like they I think get a lot more airplanes than Canada. But this is uh, it's a like 14-ish, it's like 15 after the noise at the end, but it's a they, they expand a three-minute song into a 15-minute song, yeah. and it's not just through jamming and extending, it's a completely different song. 
uh, to where it starts out like the, the, the album version of the song is kind of the premise, uh, the conflict. And then the live version of the song takes that conflict through a, like a resolution and a catharsis. And it does it with without explicitly doing it in the lyrics. The lyrics are very impressionistic and it's very much through performance. And I think uh, Emily Haynes is a super accomplished front woman. I think she's like super interesting to watch and she's like performing the song with her whole body and, and the things that she's doing physically are really reflecting what's going on in the song and bring you through from like this, this uh, premise of ennui uh, of the spiritual boredom through reconnecting through something and, and, and like I said, feeling a catharsis mm-hmm. through that. And I also, I really enjoy sonically what goes on in the song yeah. too. Not just the, it's like very snappy disco-y song. And then it goes through very different ugly portions and nasty portions. I really like, I'm a big fan of that early English electronic and new wave stuff. Imagine my surprise. This is like from 2007 or something. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but it's actually like, I was like, ooh, this is really good. I wonder this old band. I was like, no, they're not an old band at all. No, no, they're, uh, yeah, like you said, like kind of, and very, if you watch the video, it's very of that era. Like she is kind of dressed like Lilu Dallas and she has a cute little haircut and all the dudes like are slick kind of in dress shirts. And there's a lot of, uh, in-camera effects in the video. Anna, did you watch the video? I watched it somewhat. I gotta go back. I have it bookmarked. There's a... They, like... Somebody is just doing, like, all kinds of in-camera video effects with, like, video toaster. Mm-hmm. And super annoying. Yeah. But, uh, it's a very, uh, dated and of its time. But, yeah, it's, uh... That's on... It's on, um... I think the... It's on the live album and I, I'm assuming an accompanying DVD because of the way it's it's shot called, uh, Live from Metropolis. Mm. And it's like that, I guess, probably high era metric. I think, like I said, like old world now, where are you now? Or old world, where are you now? And and whatever the album was before that, that were like their two big, big albums. So it has some of those like hits on it. It Has Combat Baby and yeah, stuff like that. So for my final song, really changing gears. Rappers Delight, Sugar Hill Kang. Sugar Hill Gang. Gang, that's what I meant. I said Kang. I did, but I meant to say Gang. Uh, 1979. 14 minute album version. Well, it's, it's like the it's definitely when rap music was still disco music. Sort of a landmark piece of performance. It many of the the tropes that would become so famous in in a later quote unquote early rap are present in this song, such as talking about sucker MCs, mm-hmm. talking about rapping about how good you are at rapping. A few of the highlights of this song include. Rapping to all the races, whether you're white, black, red. Let me get this right. <clears throat> black, white, red, brown, purple, or yellow. I, I do it's like it's very bringing in the colors that people are not. Yes, uh, it's very uh, classic in rap these yes. days. In- inclusive. More importantly, Big Bank Hank sings about how he raps so well that he causes Lois Lane. To dump Superman, who is A, a fairy, and B, has a little dick, <laughs> to go after him because he is so suave. 
And he has a super, he could bust you out with his super sperms. Yeah, he has super sperms. There's very, there's there's a lot of silliness in this song. Yeah, well. And it's, uh, the silliness kind of carries, like, there's still silliness in rap music. Through the, like, there's that, there's the verse in uh, Today Was a Good Day that's all about Ice Cube taking a big shit. Yeah. So it's not, like, there's definitely mm-hmm. silliness, room for silliness mm-hmm. in, in rap. It's not all hard. Well. Uh, do you have do you have some historical interesting historical facts? I wonder because I know some interesting historical. Well, you facts. did. I do want to mention the most the all important final verse, which is uh, all about eating a shitty meal at your friend's mom's yeah. house, and then you you make excuses and they keep just piling the food on because you're like there's not enough food, and so anyway that was sort of because it's so jarring relative to the rest of the song. You're like, I get you guys are just trying to full time now. K O P E rap K or rhyme K O P E. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he has to go get in the news. K O P E T. Yeah, it's it's insane. So anyway, I love the song. Uh, what do you know about it? Oh, there's a, there's actually a bunch. I say there's two other hallmarks of rap music in it that's setting the pace early. Uh, getting sued over your sample. Oh really? Oh yeah, it's Chic. Chic has a songwriting credit on it because they put the song out without crediting Niles Rogers, mm. and they're like, you can't do. You're just rapping over a Chic song. <laughs> like you can't do that. So he gets money from it, and then. Um, Big Bank Hank thing. Yeah. You know that? No. Big Bank Hank raps that he's the C-A-S-A, the N-O-V-A, like he's the Casanova fly. Yeah. It's, he, he, Hank managed a dude named Grandmaster Cass, who was Casanova fly. Oh. And he said, hey man, we're going to make this song. Can I borrow your book? <laughs> and he gave him his rap book, and so he just rapped out of this other guy's book. Oh, really? <laughs> including calling himself the other guy's name. Oh, so that's insane. so that like guy. He just... So he got sued over that, mm-hmm. and they had to they had to settle with with Grandmaster Cass. Mm. And then the song was discovered at uh, Blondie and Niles Rogers went to a get together. I don't know what they called them, but in the in hoot the, nanny. I don't probably not a hoot nanny, but uh, in the in the Bronx in a high school in the Bronx. And they were performing over the song, and, and they said like this is really great. They should, they should record this. So again, Blondie, early Blondie being involved in the early rap. I said, well, Blondie did the first rap song. She she invented rap. As everyone, you're obligated to say if you bring up Blondie. Yeah. I'm saying, if if this were to magically appear, appear August first. I'd be seeing Blondie August 2nd with garbage. So you will have had seen Blondie on August 2nd. Yeah, but this is probably yeah. Where's where's that on? Uh, the man. That'd be a good show. Yeah. Garbage and Blondie. Yeah, well, Garbage's bus apparently keeps breaking down. Oh. Like, literally three times they've they've been stranded in parts of the U.S. Mm. Anyway, go ahead, so... Maybe they'll get stranded in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And you're like, Oi! <laughs> Open up, you got to shit! <laughs> and then uh, Shirley Manson comes in and she um, clogs your toilet. Yeah. I would have to leave it, like... Yeah. Um, is it the Abbotturd and Priscilla Queen of the Desert? Yeah, you, Dad, we can't sell the house. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's a it's a holy site for to nineties alt rock. Her, it, her to, pink feathered poops. Yeah, there be little feathers. This is it. turning into this is this is very Jamie material. Yeah, I should have left this out. Schedulogical. Sorry. Gross. Anyway, so Sugar Hill Gang, that would be my last one. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a a, a good timey song, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, very whimsical i'll say you listen to that album version like three times you know the fourth you start to get like brain damage you know what actually like, I, I like about it is that there's there's lyrics to the whole song yeah, yeah that's right and which is different than the other songs is they're literally filling yeah that, the entire that space with words yeah so that is that is that is kind of impressive mm-hmm. that they that they they pulled that off yeah 
and uh, there's a there's a neat. I watched a video once of a uh, of uh, Cool Keith talking about the difference in like the evolution of rap, mm-hmm. and he was like rapping without actually saying words, just doing like the the cadence. Yeah, and he was doing like the the Sugar Hill Gang character was like, and then like, but then he could do all the later ones too. It was, oh, it was nice. pretty neat. But that's that's neither here, neither here nor there. Yes. Uh, my last song is mm. from my favorite band in all the modern world. Mm. And it's another live track. It's uh, Lights Out by Screaming Females on Live in the Hideout, or Live from the Hideout, which uh, would have been the album to put out the live album in, in between Ugly and Rosemount. And I think it's, it's one of the, the best. It's an incredible live album. And it's such a great capturing of, of what they sound live. And Screaming Females is a band that you probably, if you hear about them, you hear, you need to go see them live because recorded they're great, but live they're really like transcendent. I like this song because it's it's a song from one of their earlier albums, and it's it's. Is it, it off Power Move? Yeah, it's on Power Move, and it's uh, again it's not as long as they do it live, and it is orally very different. They're not very different, but different. Um, Especially on those earlier albums, there's a lot of effect on Marissa's voice, and the drive isn't the same. the 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 low end of the song isn't the same, and the solos are different. And the kind of intros and outros are just different. And they've always been a band that evolves their music live, and uh, will play a, a song different on their tour. For in this in this case, they were touring Ugly. And they're not going to play the song the same way as mm-hmm. when they are touring Rose Mountain. The uh, the song starting slow, but then building and building into uh, a more frenetic pace and ending in a, a place that's fast and heavy, but still very tight. I really enjoy. I, I'm a Scrumales fan. Screamales, they say. Screamales. When you short it, you say Screamales. So the Screamales. Charlie Manson, big Screamales fan. They are. They're they're little. They're little buddies. They did a duet, and I. Because of the night. Which actually, I don't like that. Nah, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not. But anyway, it's just a, long either. And at one point, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I like so they start out very soft and quiet, and it's interesting to see how as they build up to those first notes. Where it makes it recognizable as lights out. That it, you, thematically, you can tell more. It sounded more and more like a screaming female song. Yeah. And until it does. I also like the end when Mercy's just like, "We're screaming females from New Brunswick, New Jersey," and it sounds nothing like. That's her. That's kind of the. I, I would like to talk. To, not, I mean, I would like to talk to her. Period. Mm-hmm. But I, if I was going to talk to her for, about music, I would be very interested to hear what she has to say about the role of her voice in the songs mm-hmm. because like I said like she her persona is super muted mm-hmm. and like very uh, shrinking almost and where they she's very mumbly she looks down and that I, I do think that's like a stage thing early like those early albums her voice is very uh, re- redacted in the music by the time you get to like ugly is when she's really like full throated. Like it, it comes out more and more as you go. There's a lot of power before behind it by the time you get into late screaming females, and I think that would be one of the signature parts mm-hmm. of their music too. And I would be kind of interested to to hear what she has to say about the like the kind of dichotomy between 
passive almost voice Marissa versus a very like full full throated mm-hmm. voice Marissa. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot to a lot to like there. The drums and the bass are just so super tight and super dynamic on their own, and it's like any any portion of the instruments can carry the song. The, yeah. the guitar, the, it could take lead. The guitar, the drums, or the or the bass. I don't listen. I actually don't listen to that album a lot because I get too pumped up. I get yeah. too amped. Like, yeah, like it's too much. Like I, I, I save it. But uh, I have it, a couple albums like that. Like what? That I save for special occasion. Uh, Basically, okay. a lot of times because I run outside. Yeah. Well, I run, but like when I run outside, you I have albums extra. I just listen. Yeah. Am I putting it on the spot? And I say like what? Oh, I thought you said like what, and then you were gonna say something. One beat, actually, I will. It's like actually a lot of newer stuff. An album that, again, on a podcast that at least as of this recording I haven't put on. Fuck, Mary Kill by um, Daddy Issues is really good because there's a lot of energy. Dig Lazarus Dig, Nick Cave's Tent Revival album, for lack of a better word. Is that even, is that a Grinderman album or is that a Nick Cave album? No, it's album? a Nick Cave okay. album. I think it, it's the album between Grinderman 1 and Grinderman 2. Okay. So it never occurred to me personally to do live tracks. I thought of one, like literally this morning that would be applicable. A staple of the Bad Seed sets is they always end with Staggerly. Mm. And it's generally anywhere from an 8 to 14 minute version of Staggerly. Now that I know this, because I know I know Staggerly previous, Yeah. but now that I, since I've learned this, I can't, I always think of it now, is that um, the, the old 80s wrestler, Junkyard Dog, yeah. wrestled as Staggerly for a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah, under a mask. And so, yeah, I, when I hear... Like sometimes they play Staggerly on like XM or mm-hmm. uh, or whatever, and now I hear it and I just think of like Junkyard Dog and yeah and all, and all that other dirty business. Yeah. Did I tell you about the um the excellent some trash court TV type channel? I don't even know True TV or whatever the hell it was, but they do a a series about contested wills of celebrities. Oh really? And they're like all reenactments. Oh. And I, I watched a couple weeks ago the uh, contested will of Jerry Garcia. Yeah. Who liked to get married, mm-hmm. did not like to get divorced, wow. and instead of breaking up with people, would sign monetary contracts with them. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, so it's just like a lot of uh, dirty hippie trash kind of, oh, man, Jerry owes Mountain Girl $100,000 because he wanted to go... <laughs> Mary is herbalist, but he didn't get a divorce. And like, it's like an hour of that. It's cool. yeah. it's amazing. That's it's awesome. really glorious. And uh, and yeah, and yeah. then he's like, got to take that Stagger Lee money, and uh, I don't know. We got the weed farm in Hawaii, and Starry Starry Hair lives there now. And my favorite Jerry Garcia story. I'm not a Grateful Dead fan necessarily. Yeah, uh, I have an aunt. We have an aunt who would yes beg to disagree. Like, towards the end of his life, he got into heroin. Well, I'm sure he's in heroin. Uh, think, but he was very public that. about how he liked heroin. And the band had, like, an intervention for him. He's like, fine, kick me out of the fucking band. I don't care. And they they didn't do it because he's Jerry Garcia. Yeah, well, of course not. Well, that was one of the, one of the, uh, the one of the big, one of the interesting disputes was uh, all of the equipment that Jerry Garcia owned as to whether or not it belonged to Jerry Garcia or to the band as a corporation. Mm-hmm. And that was a dispute because he, he, it was like the band understood that it was public property of, because the band paid for all of it. Yeah. But he willed it to people. 
Oh, but so he, like, he can't after, be doing it? And well, they, his will went out because I guess, like, it was uh, the law favored the fact that he had ownership. Yeah. But, like, just, just says, like, man, what a bag of shit. Because it's not like, I'm sure if you said to him, like, hey, man, this is the band's property, he would have been like, yeah, dude, yeah. Yeah. But then it's like, well, fuck it, I'm dead, I don't care. Yeah. It's not my problem. Deal with it. So, the darker mm-hmm. side. Mm. The darker side of hippies. Yeah. So, just to round it out before we go, tallying the the totals of all the songs, oh, which I did. good idea. Let me just give me a second here. Do-do-do-do-do. 213 minutes and change. Yeah, for 11 songs. For 11 songs. So that'll that'll keep you busy this week. No, 10 songs. Well, no, 11, because we both had 5, and then we had... Oh, I didn't include... Oh, so oh. take another, like, 11 minutes on today. Oh, okay. That, no, so like I just did, yeah. 220-some minutes Yeah, of so even though this is, this is a, one of my longer podcasts... The song, the playlist for this episode is longer than the podcast. Okay. Oh, you know what? That just, I don't know why it reminded me, but I had a thought when I was listening to to Sonic Youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, this is what it would be like if somebody made the Arcade Fire palatable. <laughs> like, if you took an Arcade Fire song yeah. and you made it so that I could possibly listen to it, it would sound like The Sprawl. I have an arcade album on my iPod for some reason, and I have no idea why. It probably got put there. I mean, it did, like... Like, they they probably paid for it. Like, they're yeah. sneaky. Like, like it they, appeared, and I'm like, I, I don't own this album. I don't... I think they're a little shadier than they let on. Yeah. Like, I think, like, all these, like, dress code things, you, like, where they're, like, dress code for their show, and then they have to backtrack it. Yeah. Like, oh, no, it wasn't us guys. Mm. And, like, nah, so I bet iTunes just put that shit on your fucking thing. Yeah, I can see thing that. And, yeah. Yeah. Any, I don't like the arcade fire. I'm not a fan either. So... All right. Well, okay, Rexies. Yeah, I gotta go not eat. I might vomit in a suitcase, or maybe I'll just do a whole bunch of sit-ups. Oh, yes, little little crunches in bed. Yeah, and then, I didn't know, yeah, that's a lot of crunches. Oh, what about, or like, chew a bunch of Chinese food, but spit it in the napkins, and then the waitress is just like, oh, okay, that happens. Well, you lot, you say that you have cancer. Yeah. And then you also get to drink as an underage child. Where it's like, yeah, I'll give you a beer, and you're spitting out all this food, it's disgusting. And uh, eat at Google. Google clusters are good, though. I agree with that. I do. I um, when I was in Nashville, the, the original Google store is there. Yeah, this is where they got started. It's Grand Old Opry is what Google. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because they sold them at the Grand Old Opry. Oh, that's that's an interesting. But yeah, I bought like a shit. I bought, but apparently not enough because they were gone very quickly. Oh, you yeah, get like three Google clusters per box. They're, or they're heavy though. Yeah, it's but like they're good. Yeah. They're good. But yeah, yeah, the Goo Goo Cluster, the most sensuous of foods, apparently. Yes. And, for uh, a young team. For, for creepy English Rexy yeah. boys who, even though the whole time you think something bad's going to happen with him, mm-hmm. and he just turns out to be an okay dude and not a sexual predator as you spend 90 minutes expecting to be Waiting, revealed. Yeah. So, I guess what we're saying is go watch To the Bone. To the Bone. All right? All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.